a lot of patients and sometimes providers come in with misconceptions about how radiation works, what side effects patients may experience, whether patients are going to be radioactive. I spend the majority, actually, of my time counseling patients in the first consultation to hopefully dispel any of these myths and misconceptions. That's Dr. Matthew Arams, a radiation oncologist at BIDMC, and we'll aim to do some myth-busting for this episode for ourselves and for our patients. Welcome to the Five Pearls podcast, bringing you high-yield, evidence-based pearls. Today, we're going to dive deep into a topic that I think is a blind spot for many of us, radiation oncology. And this episode was largely inspired by Dr. Sam Kumarsana. Hi, everybody. I'm Sam. I'm a second-year resident at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. And I guess since this topic is a whole field, we did split this episode into two different parts. So today, we're going to cover the first three pearls and really set the foundation for radiation oncology. Yep, that's two for the price of one. Next (laughs) Wednesday, we'll publish part two, which will get into all things side effects related. Yes, and also look out for a short YouTube whiteboard animation that Sam created that explains interesting physiology of radiation. I'm going to toot my own horn here a little bit. It's worth a watch for sure. Yeah. And with that, let's get started on the episode. Quiz yourself on the following pearls. Remember, the more you test yourself, the deeper your learning gains. Pearl one, intro to radiation. What is radiation and how does it work? Pearl two, types of radiation. What are the different types of radiation out there? And what should we and shouldn't we put in our one-liners? Pearl 3, palliative radiation. What makes palliative radiation different from curative radiation? And what are some of the most common scenarios to refer for palliative radiation? So I think most of us have taken care of a patient who's had some radiation therapy in the past, but let's set the foundation with some big picture points on radiation and maybe the first and lowest hanging fruit uh, that comes to mind and to make sure we're on the same page about is what exactly is radiation? I mean, I kind of know, but I'd love to hear how a radon describes it. Me too. We sat down with Dr. Daphne Spiegel, an assistant professor in radiation oncology at Harvard Medical School. She specializes in breast and gyne malignancies at BIDMC, and she framed what exactly radiation is in a really simple way. So when we deliver radiation to treat cancer, we're using the exact same kind of radiation that patients get when they get an x-ray, like if they break their arm or a CAT scan. It's exactly the same. The main difference that makes this therapeutic versus diagnostic is that the radiation is given in much higher doses um, and is much more focused and targeted than what you get with an x-ray or a CAT scan. Okay, got it. So it's the same stuff as x-rays, just at a higher energy level. If an x-ray machine is like a water gun, radiation therapy is like a fire hose. So now, how does that actually work? Do the photons physically destroy the cells somehow? The way that radiation works is it basically creates, or ionizing radiation creates free radicals. These free radicals then go and uh, damage the DNA through a series of double-strand and single-strand breaks, but it's predominantly the double-strand breaks that are catastrophic to the cell. And then when the cell goes to divide, the cell actually dies through something called mitotic catastrophe. And that's actually how radiation kills cancer. Mitotic catastrophe. (laughs) I got to say that for one of my next dinner parties. Um, So I guess with radiation causing all this mitotic catastrophe, 
I'm curious, how come radiation doesn't kill all the cells in the area? You know, how come it doesn't kill the healthy cells? That is a great question. I think the difference is healthy cells still have their DNA repair pathways intact. So even if they get hit by radiation a little bit, they're able to recover from that kind of damage. But for cancer cells, they're often missing that repair machinery they need to recover. So it's kind of a death sentence for them. Bop, womp, womp. The other thing to keep in mind here is that technology has really come a long way and radonks can really target the cancer carefully. For example, when I treat uh, pancreas cancer, uh, we actually use a machine that uh, gates the treatment. So it will actually adjust the treatment based on the patient's respiratory pattern, based on implanted fiducials or little gold seeds that we put into the tumor. So if you actually watch the machine, it'll actually move with the patient as they're breathing to account for that motion. Wow. So today's radiation therapy sounds like it's a completely different ballgame. Yeah, sure. I think we've all had that patient who received radiation 30, 40 years ago, had significant complications because they had radiation to large parts of their body. And yeah, these cases come up on board questions. They stick in our memories more than they should. But today's radiation is not the same radiation we saw decades ago. And so the goal is that with more advanced technology, um, more accurate, more precise, better immobilization, better technology or machines, we're able to, once again, maximize the dose to the tumor uh, and minimize the dose to the critical structures and hopefully minimizing toxicity and side effects down the road. Got it. So this isn't your grandma's radiation. (laughs) That is my favorite line of this whole episode, hearing Sam say that. (laughs) I guess uh, one last big picture question to end this parole is how exactly does radiation fit into the larger cancer treatment plan? I think we often hear terms like neoadjuvant, adjuvant, definitive. Let's kind of understand some of those terms a bit more and the role that radiation can play. I think it's important for internists to understand that for the vast majority of cancers, radiation uh, does come into play uh, through various ways. A lot of times it's in conjunction with surgery. Uh, So uh, we give radiation preoperatively before surgery. Uh, That's called neoadjuvant radiation. We can give radiation postoperatively after surgery. That's called adjuvant radiation. The purpose uh, of radiation when it's given before surgery is often to uh, help shrink the tumor down, make the surgery easier to do, and reduce the risk of the cancer coming back. When we give radiation after surgery, the purpose of it is to hopefully account for any microscopic disease that may have been left behind at the time of surgery um, to reduce the risk of the cancer coming back. When we give radiation definitively, the goal is different. The goal is actually to get rid of all the cancer with the radiation to cure it. Yeah, I think what we're hearing from all this is that radiation really spans the whole breadth of cancer care. And as a heads up, we'll also talk about one more type of radiation. That's palliative radiation in Pearl 3 of this episode. Yeah, I can't wait for that. So let me summarize some of the big concepts here. Radiation therapy works by using photons to kill cancer cells. These photons are the same stuff as visible light, x-rays, or CT scans, but these photons are higher energy and strong enough to disrupt DNA. And the hope is that radiation kills the cancer cells while sparing the healthy tissue, and that is especially possible with newer technology. And the role of radiation can really differ based on if it's new adjuvant, in other words, a pre-op to shrink the tumor, or adjuvant, which is post-op to try to reduce any residual disease, or if it's giving, quote-unquote, definitively to cure the cancer. All right, Sam, I think the other thing that's a black box for most of us is the different types of radiation. 
sometimes I look at these one-liners of patients who've had radiation therapy in the past and it kind of feels like a big blob of hieroglyphics. And I'm really curious, is there a better way to think about radiation or an easier way to simplify it? Some of the ones that you might come across are things like um, EBRT, which stands for external beam radiation therapy. That's really a big, broad term that refers to most of the radiation that we do, Um, essentially saying that this is radiation that's coming from the outside in. That makes sense. So the EB in EBRT means external beam, and that's exactly what it sounds like, right? You point a beam at a cancer, often through a linear accelerator. Fun fact, a linear accelerator is called a LINAC in the biz. (laughs) That's a cool term to throw around too. (laughs) Thanks for that, Sam. So if external beam is the most common, right? That's what she said. It's the most common. Then what's the alternative to that? Another way to deliver radiation is not with a linear accelerator, but instead with a radioactive source. That uh, is called brachytherapy or brachytherapy. It comes from the uh, Greek brachy, meaning uh, close. Uh, And uh, what it basically is, is when you take a radioactive source and you bring it into the tumor. I think the teaching point here is if we're using brachytherapy to physically implant a radioactive source, it kind of makes sense that brachytherapy is going to be common in malignancies that are easy to access, such as prostate cancer. Wait a minute, implanting radioactive sources? Does that mean brachytherapy patients are radioactive? Technically speaking, there are some patients that are radioactive. Oh boy. Now when he says that, he means that there is indeed a small minority of patients who are radioactive. However, it would be very unusual for brachytherapy seeds implanted in the patient to have any significant emissions external to the patient. And in those rare exception cases where there is a significant emission, patients are warned about it beforehand. So basically, unless your patients are counseled differently by their radonks, they shouldn't worry about being radioactive or posing a risk to their loved ones. Okay, good to know. So I guess from what I'm hearing, to simplify the different types of radiation, we can really divide it into two different buckets, external beam versus brachytherapy. But There are all these other acronyms that I still see in one-liners, IMRT, SBRT, CyberKnife, SRS, Gamma Knife. It's all word salad to me. But then within external beam radiation, there's all these other little sub-acronyms and subtypes of radiation. So things that you might come across are things like IMRT or intensity modulated radiation therapy or VMAT, um, which is an ARC type of radiation therapy. And all of these are really kind of minutia almost in terms of the big picture for your patients. What those terms refer to are really trying to say that we are trying to create this conformal radiation plan to really treat what we need to treat and avoid the stuff that doesn't need to get treated as best as possible. Okay, okay. (laughs) IMRT, other things like IGRT, 3D conformal radiation, these are all just garden variety external beam radiations. And as internists, we don't really need to stress about the differences between them. Uh, I am so relieved to hear that, that it's minutia and it's okay if we don't need to think about this stuff so much. Well, hold the phone. We do need to pull a couple things out of the alphabet soup. Okay. Two things, really. SBRT and SRS because these are special techniques. Both of them fall under that external beam radiation umbrella, but they are pretty different from the rest of the soup. So we'll focus on those for a minute. All right. I'm getting hungry, Sam, hearing you talk about salad and soup and all this. Uh, But yeah, I'm curious, what's so special about SBRT and SRS? Maybe we can start with SBRT. 
One thing that is a little bit different is when we do um, SBRT or stereotactic body radiation therapy, um, we're giving high doses of radiation very quickly over a small number of treatments. And because there's minimal normal tissue in the field, there's not as much damage to normal stuff and your body doesn't have to work as hard in order to repair that. So a lot of times those kinds of treatments are so well tolerated. Patients have no side effects. They don't even, they're like, are you even turning the beam on? I feel great. Uh, and so uh, they might not experience much in the way of fatigue or any of the other side effects. Wow. So SPRT, stereotactic body radiation sounds fantastic. High doses where the patient only comes in a few times for it, minimal tissue toxicity and side effects. Gosh, why isn't everyone getting SBRT? There must be some catch, right? So there's so many advantages. However, not everybody's a candidate. So if we think about patients that can get SBRT for lung cancers, for example, it's patients with small tumors that are just in the lung with no lymph node spread. Bummer. Okay, so SBRT is really best used in small early stage tumors. Yeah, totally. Small caveat, there are some exceptions. SBRT can be used in isolated sites of metastases, but I think the big takeaway here is that in most cases, when we think of SBRT, we're thinking early stages, small tumor. Yeah. And maybe this can really motivate us about lung cancer screening, right? If we catch it really early, then our patients could have a way different experience or a way better experience with radiation with less toxicity. We are fans of SBRT if we can have that for our patients. What about that second alphabet soup that you pulled out, SRS? What's going on with that? SRS or stereotactic radiosurgery, that's basically a specialized type of SBRT and we specifically use that for lesions that are in the brain and they're typically single fraction um, treatments. And again, very, very focused and targeted and you just finish your radiation in one treatment. Really cool. Let's remember that SRS or stereotactic radiosurgery is still an external beam pointed at the brain tumor, but it has radiosurgery in the name for a reason, right? That's because SRS is one and done, just like surgery is. It's also highly focused, which is great for brain tumors because you don't want to hit healthy brain. Yeah. Thanks for making that all make sense to me, Sam. I have another question. Oftentimes in these one-liners, I'll see things like cyber knife, gamma knife, and gosh, I've copied forward that stuff so much. But really, what are those? Are they even fancier or cooler than SBRT? You know, I think CyberKnife might be another name for SBRT, right? Like a brand name or a trade name? No one should be using the word CyberKnife. There are a lot of different machines as well. So there's CyberKnife, GammaKnife, um, TrueBeam. Um, all of these are um, trade names. So it's like saying I drive a Lexus or I drive a Toyota. Um, I try to avoid saying all of those names because they're they're somewhat meaningless. Uh, the technique uh, is what's really important, and that's the 3D conformal IMRT or SBRT. The machine that you use to deliver it uh, is less important. Oh, man, I'm kind of embarrassed now. So that cyber gamma stuff is just SBRT with a brand name. Next time I talk to an oncologist, I'll just say SBRT. Good to know. I mean, I'm guilty of it as well. This is the way it's been done, and um, I, I can't stand it. Okay. Well, now I know what not to put in my one-liner. Yeah, same. So I guess we talked a bit about what not to put in our one-liner, but maybe we should be asking ourselves, what should we be putting in a one-liner of a patient who's had radiation? We asked our radiation oncologist this question. 
and they told us we really just need to know the what, the where, and the when of the radiation. We just need to know enough to help us understand any symptoms or side effects our patients might have in the context of their radiation. And maybe we can operationalize that with some practice. Sam, can you walk us through a one-liner of a case you've seen in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Let's get into it. Let's go. 60-year-old male with borderline resectable pancreatic cancer, status post-full Ferinox for four cycles, followed by 4D CT IMRT with respiratory gating at 1.8 gray per fraction, total 50.4 gray with concurrent capecitabine completed 10-31-22. Oh boy, what in the world? Yikes. Yeah, I honestly feel like my eyes would have just glazed over that whole blob of words. Let's trim that down a bit. What's, what's really important here, Sam? Yeah, let's start with the stuff we know. This patient got induction chemo, right? That's the full Ferinox. Great. Next, let's tackle the jargon. 4D CT IMRT with respiratory gating. Don't panic. All we need to pick up in there is IMRT. The rest of that stuff is just a fancy technique to account for the patient's breathing during radiation, which is pretty cool, but we don't really need to know it. Yeah. And IMRT, now that I know about it more, it's just one of the standard external beam radiation types. So we could probably even just call it EBRT or external beam radiation or a one-liner, right, Sam? Yeah, exactly. That's right. The next you mentioned 1.8 gray per fraction, a total of 50.4 gray. I think that's all radonc speak for the amount of radiation they received. Maybe we can ignore this too? Totally. We can ignore that bit. But if you do want to dig a little deeper and do some math, Mm -hmm. if you divide the total amount of radiation... That's 50.4 gray by the 1.8 gray per fraction, you get 28 fractions. So this patient went through 28 fractions, in other words, 28 sessions of radiation. And that's a pretty long course, which must mean that the radonks are going after this lesion pretty aggressively. Yeah, that is, I guess that is a good bit to know. But yeah, maybe a little bit too much math for me. (laughs) Might need a little bit more coffee for that. Uh, And the last thing you had mentioned was a concurrent capsidabine completed 10, 31, 22. So that just basically means he got some chemo alongside his radiation. One more thing about that. The fact that this patient got radiation on the Halloween holiday isn't so much what matters. What matters is that he got it in October because we mostly care about general timeframes, weeks, months, or years ago, mostly because that plays into how we think about radiation effects. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in part two of this series. Let me take a stab then and try to make that one-liner a little bit better. So we have a 60-year-old male who has a borderline resectable pancreatic cancer. He got chemotherapy followed by an extended course of standard external beam radiation therapy, EBRT, alongside more chemotherapy. And that treatment ended months ago, October 2022. How was that, Sam? Hooray. Perfect (laughs) job. Now we've gotten rid of all that extra cognitive baggage, which means we can actually focus on what matters to us as internists. Yes, yes, yes. I appreciate this so much. So let's recap all the clarification we did on the different types of radiation. So to simplify it, there's two big buckets, brachytherapy, where a radioactive source is placed inside or near a tumor, and then the other bucket, external beam radiation therapy, where an external beam is directed at the tumor, and most types of radiation, IMRT, VMAT, IGRT, all fall usually under this EBRT umbrella. Though my big takeaway is if I have a patient who's had external beam radiation, EBRT in the past, I'll specifically look if it was SBRT, stereotactic body radiation therapy, or SRS, stereotactic radio surgery, since these two are highly targeted and so well-tolerated treatments with lower likelihood of toxicity and side effects to worry about.
just a quick word from our sponsor. We all want to eat healthier, but let's be honest, between our busy schedule and the endless prep and cleanup, it feels kind of out of our reach. You know, we often are aiming for better nutrition, but end up compromising for quick fixes that are anything but healthy. Now, imagine a different scenario. Picture a day where you're coming home to gourmet, nutritious meals that are ready in just two minutes. With Factors, that is possible. Factors delivers delicious, chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals right to your door, ready to heat in just two minutes, giving you over 35 weekly options to choose from, from calorie smart to protein plus to keto. And don't forget, they have 60 plus add-ons for an extra boost from breakfast to midday bites. So you're not spending all your time and money in the hospital cafeteria. So no prep, no mess, just real mouth-watering meals tailored to fit your schedule and dietary needs. With Factor, you're not just saving time, but you're elevating your meal game without the hassle of cooking. Head to factormeals.com slash coriam50. Use the code coriam50 to get 50% off. That's the code coriam50 at factormeals.com slash coriam50. Okay, so we talked a ton about radiation with more of a curative intent. Let's run out the foundation that we are setting with the other side, palliative radiation. The goal is to palliate symptoms. Our goal is to not cause more problems. So we want to make patients feel better. These are often patients that have um, metastatic disease, for example, and are coming in with a particular symptom that's bothering them. It might be pain. It might be bleeding. Uh, and our goal is to try to get the pain to go down, to get the bleeding, to stop. Uh, and we can use radiation pretty effectively to do that. The radiation can shrink the tumor, help alleviate the pain, cause the bleeding to stop. And with that palliative intent in mind, these treatments are just a few fractions, unlike the days to weeks of sessions of curative radiation. Palliative radiation also uses lower dose treatment. So the side effects tend to be a little less as well. Oh, I do like hearing that. So I'm curious, how does palliative radiation actually reduce pain and that bleeding? You know, for pain, it's pretty straightforward because tumors cause pain because they destroy nearby tissue, especially with bony destruction or nerve compression. And then radiation goes in and shrinks the tumor that relieves the compression and allows tissue to heal. But it is important to note that the process takes time. So patients will usually start to feel better at one to two weeks post-radiation and they'll get peak relief at the four to six week mark. Okay, so it sounds like palliative radiation doesn't necessarily work right away when it comes to pain. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes people can even have a pain flare in the first 24 to 48 hours after palliative radiation. We think this pain flare may be due to the temporary inflammatory reaction to the radiation itself. Okay, that's good to know in terms of prepping our patients for a potential short initial pain and then things are going to get better. Nice. Okay, then what about bleeding? How does radiation reduce bleeding? Radiation activates clot formation to stop bleeding in the short term. Then in the longer term, radiation causes fibrosis in the vessels to prevent rebleeding. So, you know, I had a patient who came in um, a week or two ago and um, she was bleeding, I mean, soaking through pads because of her cervical cancer that was very advanced. Um, and she was in a lot of pain because of, um, you know, her cervical cancer also. And we gave her radiation. We did a one-week course of radiation, so five fractions, doing a dose that is maybe a third to a half of what we would do in the definitive setting. And the patient's bleeding totally stopped. Her pain was better. She was using less narcotic medication at the end of those five treatments um, and was just feeling better. Wow. That's really amazing after just one quick course of radiation. 
I remember a patient with multiple myeloma who had an epidural mass uh, from uh, his multiple myeloma that was compressing his spinal cord. He presented with inability to walk. He came in basically in a wheelchair. I saw him urgently in the hospital, recommended a short course of five fractions of palliative radiation targeting the epidural mass causing malignant spinal cord compression. He received his five fractions of palliative external beam radiation while he was in the hospital. By the time he was discharged, he was walking again. I saw him a month or two afterwards, and he uh, thankfully had actually no deficits associated after that period of time. And he was walking and um, exercising, um, and uh, that was a great success story. That's honestly incredible to hear. What a difference that radiation made for him. Now, for cord compression, obviously radiation is a no-brainer. But how about the risk-benefit profile for other symptoms, right? I think we talked a little bit about pain already, but is there any risk that radiation could actually cause more symptoms than it relieves? I'm just asking because we talked about that pain bit for a little bit. Sometimes it can, um, but generally, even if it does cause side effects, those side effects are really short-lived. So maybe it's a week or two, but then overall, things are better for a while for these patients. Um, And so, you know, that kind of risk-benefit is worth it. Okay. I appreciate that clarification. I think a lot of misconceptions come with radiation side effects, and we'll get to some of that in our next episode. But I guess at least with palliative radiation, we don't have to worry too much about any long-lasting side effects. So I guess the next question is, when should we be referring patients for palliative radiation? When should we refer patients for palliative radiation? All the time. Um, All the time. I would say if the question ever comes to your mind, if the patient may be a candidate for palliative radiation, you should refer that patient for an evaluation. So there have actually been quite a few studies now, especially in um, locally advanced um, and metastatic lung cancer, looking at early initiation of palliative care, and it actually improves survival. Improved survival? I did not know that. Maybe if I were to summarize this, Pearl, I think things I learned was that palliative radiation can help with reducing pain, bleeding, cord compression, and I'm sure there's a bunch more things that we didn't discuss, but those were the big ones. And then typically palliative radiation uses lower doses, fewer treatments, so it's going to be less burdensome for the patient, both from an appointment perspective, but also fatigue and other side effects. And with that, that brings us to the end of this episode. Yes. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with your team, your colleagues, give it a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast app you use. It really does help people find us, tweet us, leave us a comment on our website or Instagram or Facebook page. Thank you to Dr. Sarah Stevens and Dr. Julian Hong for reviewing this episode. Thank you to Dr. Shpatia for audio editing and Dr. Kaba Wang for the accompanying graphics. This episode was made as a part of the digital education track at BIDMC. Thank you to all our great educators and mentors. As always, we love hearing feedback. Email us at hello at coreimpodcast.com. Opinions expressed are our own and do not represent the opinions of any affiliated institution. Take care. <laughs>